and God working through us. Uh, Yvonne's problem is solved there, which is uh, very exciting. Yeah, we can give a little round of applause to that. <laughs> Kathy and I are heading down to see our son Mike and uh, daughter-in-law down in Ecuador here in a couple weeks, and I'm sure uh, we'll get a little update then, and when we return, we'll uh, get back and let you know what's going on with that. Well, uh, this morning we're continuing through our study in the book of uh, Romans, we've got uh, just a few weeks uh, left before we uh, conclude this study. Uh, then we're going to be making our way through the uh, seven churches of Revelations is uh, the plan for the uh, balance of the, the fall. And we'll hit uh, the Advent season. And after Advent, uh, we will have figured out another book we're going through. Uh, probably going to work through a, an Old Testament book is the game plan. Uh, but let's get started here this morning. Let me take a moment to pray and, uh, and then we'll get rolling. Lord God, thank you for this opportunity that we can come before you. Uh, Lord, as a church family, uh, both here and around the world, Heavenly Father, through live stream, and we pray, dear God, uh, that your word would speak deeply to your hearts. Uh, Lord, as uh, Emily prayed earlier, Heavenly Father, would you uh, move aside, uh, Lord, any sin that might be in my life that has not been confessed? Uh, would you uh, forgive it and cover it, Heavenly Father? And Lord, would you uh, use uh, the efforts uh, that went through this week in preparation. Would you use them uh, to communicate your word effectively? Uh, Lord, if there is error on my part, would you make it very, very clear? And uh, might you be glorified through all things. And it's through your son's name we pray. Amen. On a cold uh, Tuesday morning in February of <coughs> 2000, I was in the final semester of my seminary studies out in Finley, Ohio. I was also uh, serving as a part-time associate pastor at the Finley Evangelical Free Church. And at that point in time, I was absolutely losing my mind. And uh, it wasn't because of my seminary schedule. I had uh, done enough work ahead of time in, in the prior five semesters that I only had uh, two classes to take, so I didn't have a, a, a really l large class load. Uh, things at that church were going extremely well, so that wasn't the source of my frustration. Ultimately, the source of, of my frustration was our home church here in Harrisburg, where we attended prior to moving to Ohio. Uh, a few months earlier, in the fall of 1999, our home church pastor had resigned, and uh, because of his resignation, Kathy and I put aside our plans to come back to Harrisburg and plant a new church and decided that, that perhaps I should apply for the job at our old home church. Uh, it all seemed to make sense. Uh, for years, I had served on that church's elder board. I had spent uh, the prior summer there as a pastoral intern. Uh, it was an established congregation. It was full of all of our friends. Uh, they were in need of a pastor. I was available, and undoubtedly, I was, in all humility, the man for the job. <laughs> Very Last night did not laugh at that at all, so... You guys are good. We're going to be all right today. Uh, so Kath and I, we came up with a new plan. We're like, let's put the church planning plans on the shelf. Let's go and uh, apply for this job to be the next pastor at our home church. And so I, I went through the interview process over the Christmas break. We had come home to Harrisburg uh, to spend Christmas with our family, with my mom and dad and Kathy's mom and dad at the, 
and uh, went through the interview process with the elder board, everybody who I knew, it went extremely smoothly, and I waited for them to make the logical choice, which obviously was going to be me. And uh, days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into a couple months, and uh, graduation was you know, looming, uh, not in the too distant future. Uh, we needed to sell our house in Ohio. We needed to move back to Pennsylvania. Uh, needed to find a house here in Pennsylvania. And nothing was happened. And I, I was extraordinarily confused. I, I didn't know what was going on. What was God doing? Well, on that Tuesday morning in February, I found out. I had uh, just settled into uh, my office I, they had uh, cobbled together a small office in the Evangelical Free Church there in Finley. And uh, without notice, uh, the lead pastor comes blasting into my office. And I've in the past talked about uh, Pastor Adam Lislaski. Uh, Adam, amazing Bible teacher, but he was literally like Seinfeld on, on uh, or I mean like Kramer on Seinfeld. And, uh, and he came into the room just like that. And door flies open, he blasts into the room, he looks at me and he says, Mike, have I ever told you what you need to do? And I said, no, Adam, you have never told me what I need to do. As a matter of fact, when they hired me as the part-time associate pastor, Adam said, Mike, all I want to do is preach. I don't want to do anything else regarding running the church. You take care of everything else. And it was not a small church. It was a church of about 400 people. So I had like free reign to pretty much, you know, oversee everything. And so he allowed me always to chart my own course. I said, Adam, you have never told me what I needed to do. You've always let me do what I think to need I needed to do. And so without hesitation, he looks at me and he says, well, I'm telling you now. And he goes, you need to dump that church back in Pennsylvania and you need to start a brand new church like you had originally planned. And then he paraphrased Romans 15, 20, which, we're gonna, which you looked at last week. We're going to relook at a little bit this week. And he said this, you need to make it your ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest you build it on someone else's foundation. And then he wrapped it up with this. Do you got that? And I said, yes, sir. And he was out of my office as quickly as he was in to my office. And I'm stunned. I, I literally didn't know what hit me, and so I, I did what I always do when, when I need to feel support. I called Kathy. I'm like, Kathy, you're not going to believe this, but Pastor Adam just blew into my office. He told us that we should dump the folks back there in and, and not so many words and start a church, and Kathy goes, you know, that's what I've been thinking, and uh, so within the next week, I contacted my friends back here in Harrisburg, said, hey, uh, I no longer want to be considered for the job. We uh, quickly contacted a uh, church planning organization in Indianapolis. They had a church planning boot camp that was only a couple weeks away. Uh, we attended that, and we began uh, making our plans to start Living Water Community Church. And I, I share this story with you because uh, that's what immediately came to my mind when I started studying this passage 
this week. This whole idea that make it your ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest you build it on someone else's foundation. And as I was pondering those words, what I came to realize in my office this week is that these words were not just written for a young church planner in the year 2000. But they were written for every Christian who is serious about living a gospel-focused life. You see, God has a mission. He has a purpose. He has a plan for every one of us who claims the name of Christ. It doesn't matter whether we're a a business owner. It doesn't matter whether we're a a medical professional or a public servant. It doesn't matter whether we're a, a, a teacher or a student or a common laborer, a retiree, uh, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad, we are all called to preach the gospel by living purpose-filled lives that are all centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are to do it wherever God has planted us at that moment. And this perhaps is most clearly articulated in Ephesians chapter 2 when the Apostle Paul says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul is telling us that that you and I are are God's workmanship. We are his special creation. He has crafted each one of us from before the beginning of the time with a purpose of doing good works that glorify Jesus. And God expects us to do that which he has created us to do. Now God, and I didn't know it, until I was about 31 years old, but God created me to be a pastor of of a gospel-centered, multi-ethnic church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And he expects me to faithfully communicate the gospel of Christ through preaching, through leading, and through serving. But that's maybe not what he called you to do. Some of us he created to be business owners, Not simply for the the worldly, temporal purpose of providing goods and services to people and employing people and making money, but for the eternal purpose of intentionally using this business that God has entrusted to you to glorify him and in the process communicate Christ to others. For others of us, He's created us to be professionals or managers or employees, not simply to earn a living. When we get up in the morning and we go to the work that we have, it's not simply to earn a living. There is a greater purpose in it. And that purpose is to glorify God and in the process communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And from God's perspective, there is no difference between secular work and sacred work. It is all sacred. And regardless of what we do, we are called to live gospel-focused lives. Lives that, that bless and encourage other people, while at the same time bringing glory and honor to Jesus. But here is the problem why so many of us struggle to do just that. Living a gospel-focused life, folks, it is crazy hard. It's a demanding life that requires that we live selflessly for God and others 
rather than living selfishly for ourselves. That's what it demands. It's a hard life, but it is also a life filled with more joy and more peace than we could ever know if you and I are willing to endure the hardships. Now, allow me to show you exactly what I'm talking about as we work our way through these last couple verses of Romans chapter 15. If you have a Bible with you or a Bible app on your phone, make your way to Romans chapter 15. Uh, we're going to start off, uh, I think, in about verse 20, if I'm not mistaken. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles on the tables around the room. Please feel free to, to grab one of those. If you don't own a Bible, we want you to own a Bible. Please take one of them. Uh, the only thing we ask you to do is you actually read the thing. Don't use it uh, just to gather dust in your house. Uh, Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 20. If you're able to stand in honor of God's word, please do so. <clears throat> Romans chapter 15, verse 20. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room to work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while." At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints from Macedonia and Achaia, uh, uh, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, they ought to also be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Now, as I read through this passage, uh, I believe that we discover three demands that, that flow from living a gospel-centered life. That, that when we strive to live a gospel-centered life, these are the things that are going to be demanded of us. I'll give them to you up front. They'll be here on the big screen. The first is this, that we work until the job is done. Living a gospel-centered life requires that we work until the job that God has assigned us to is done. Number two, living a gospel-focused life demands that we surrender our agenda to God's agenda. That it's a, it's a, 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 a life where we keep our hands open and allow God to take us to where we need to go rather than us try to force our way. And number three, it demands that we press forward regardless of the cost. We work until the job is done, we surrender our agenda to God's agenda, and we press forward regardless of the cost. Now, to get started, let me remind you 
where the apostle Paul is at the present moment when he wrote this letter to the people that are living in Rome. Paul has penned this letter from the city of Corinth. It's about 57 AD. Corinth is located inside of modern-day Greece. It's been a, a little over 20 years since the Apostle Paul has had this life-changing encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. And since that encounter, Paul has been transformed from a celebrated Jewish religious leader who was laser-focused on arresting and killing Christians to being the greatest Christian evangelist, apologist, and church planner that the world has ever known. And for the last 10 years, from about 47 AD to 57 AD, the Apostle Paul has been traveling around the, the perimeter of the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea, and he's been planting churches. And during those 10 years, he has suffered greatly for the cause of following the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in 2 Corinthians, in a letter uh, that he wrote, the second, well, it's actually the third letter that he wrote to the Corinthians, but in our Bible, it's the second letter. Uh, he articulates some of the struggles that he's encountered. So it gives us a little perspective of what it looks like. He says this, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, Dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. If anyone knew the demands of a gospel-focused life, it was the Apostle Paul. And the first thing that we learn from what he has written to the Romans in chapter 15 is that living a gospel-focused life demands that we continue to work until we get the job done. Look again at verses 20 to 24. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build it on someone else's foundation. But as it is written... Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard of him will understand. And this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. In other words, what I just told you is the reason why I haven't been able to come and see you, even though I wanted to see you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So here's the Apostle Paul, most probably for, for five, six, seven, eight years, he has wanted to visit the Christians who are living in Rome, but he could not go there because he had work to be completed. Paul didn't plant the church in Rome. Other Christians went to Rome and started the church. But Paul had heard about them, had heard that they had been praying for him, and he wanted to go and visit these people. So, uh, that's what Paul wants to do. Paul, Paul wants to visit them, but God has called him instead 
to be in this region around the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea. And so he preaches the gospel. He plants churches in the exact place that God tells them to plant churches. And he doesn't stop until he finishes his assignment. And then in verse 23, we see that he records that he has completed the work. It says, by now, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, now it's important to understand that, that he hasn't evangelized every person who is living around the perimeter of the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea. But what he has done is he has strategically planted churches in the major cities. He's trained the Christians there to be able to, to go from those cities to the surrounding towns and villages and for them to plant churches. And now he has completed his work. He has reached every strategic city and he is ready now to move on to the next mission that God has for him. But my question this morning is this, is that, is that how you and I operate? Do we persevere in the things that God has called us to do to the very end? Do we press on even when we encounter obstacles along the way? Do, do we even see ourselves as someone who is living on, on mission for God? And do we realize that, that God has a work for us to do in our workplace, in our school, in the businesses that we own, in our neighborhood or our family? And if we do, do we keep pressing forward and pressing forward and pressing forward despite the obstacles that will inevitably come our way? And sadly, and to our shame, many times, we simply give up because living a gospel-focused life is hard. The rejection is simply too painful. The risks are great. Most of the times, the rewards are not immediate. They're distant. And the temptations are too appealing. You know, why was I so quick to abandon the church planting plans that Kathy and I had made in order to apply to be the pastor at our home church. I'll tell you why. Because it appeared that it was going to be easier and more secure and safer. Our old church, they already had a congregation. It was me, Kathy, Mikey, Nicole, and John. That was it in the beginning. And a little 20-page church planning plan that we had cobbled together. They had a leased building. I had absolutely no idea where we were going to meet for church. They had established ministries. They had volunteers. We had nothing they owned 20 acres of land, which they had paid off to ultimately build a permanent building. They weren't going to have to one day deal with landlords or any of that stuff. And more than anything else, and folks, I am going to be crazy honest with you right now. They had money. I knew that I was going to get paid. I knew that there was a congregation that was giving 
and I was going to be able to support my family. And church planning, on the other hand, it's the great unknown. It's harder, it's less secure, it's far more dangerous. You're not promised that it's actually even going to work. And I would imagine that some of you are facing those similar situations. God has you exactly where he wants you to be, but it's hard, and it's risky, and it's uncomfortable, and you want to quit. And you're like me. You want easy. You want safe. You want, you want comfortable. The grass looks greener on the other side. But my question is this. Is your work actually done? Are you able to, to confidently say, like Paul does, that... that I no longer have any room to work in this region. And I'm here to tell you, if you quit and the work that God has called for you to do is left undone, know this one thing. You will be miserable. No doubt there are some here today who will testify to that very truth because you have quit before God's work was done. You are now on the other side of the fence. You have discovered that the grass isn't greener. And while you may not admit it publicly inside you in places where you don't let other people go, you're miserable. And you know things weren't perfect before you quit but they were good, perhaps not ideal, but when in the world has anything in your life actually ever been ideal? But you've left, and now you're trying to figure out, how do I get back on the other side of the fence? Sometimes going back is possible. And it typically involves humbling ourselves, apologizing for the hurts that we've caused others, forgiving people for the hurts that they have caused us, making amends, and seeking to re-engage that which we have left behind. But other times, we have burned too many bridges. And going back is no longer possible. And so we turn to God's grace and we ask him to use us in the new place that we found us. And that this time, Lord, we'll be faithful to the end. Fortunately for the Apostle Paul, Though he obviously was tempted to give up, he pressed on until the job God had assigned him was done. And now he's ready for God's next assignment. So the first thing that is demanded from living a gospel-centered life is the fact that you and I actually work until we've completed the work that God has assigned us to do. Here's the second. Living a gospel-focused life requires that we surrender our agenda to God's agenda. Folks, 
We live in a culture, I don't even need to tell you this, but we live in a culture that greatly values freedom. We want to be free. We want to make our own decisions. We want to chart our own course. We want to do what we want. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do because we want to be in control. Unfortunately, while that may be the American way to live, that's not the authentic Christian way to live. Living an authentic Christian life demands that we accept the fact that we are not our own, that we are owned by Jesus, and that he directs and he expects us to follow. The Apostle Paul understood this fact so clearly that when he wrote this letter to the folks in Rome, he started out the first chapter in the first verse, clearly identifying who he was. Pastor Ben took us through this, I think back in April of last year or early May. This is what it says. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The very beginning of this letter, Paul describes who he is. He says that he is a servant of Christ Jesus. But folks, that is not what he really said. Because that word, a servant, is a sanitized word to make people happy. The Greek word that has been translated servant is doulos. It occurs about 130 times in the New Testament. Every time it talks about being a slave. Every single time. But here's the rub. Most Bible translators use the word servant because the word slave brings way too much baggage. Pastor and Gospel Coalition board member Sam Storm explains it this way. Slaves suggest an oppressive and even cruel dehumanization and domination of one person by another. It is quite difficult for us in the United States to think of a slave without our minds immediately rushing back to the race-based slavery that plagued our country and largely provoked the Civil War. But race or ethnicity has nothing to do with being a slave of Jesus Christ. White believers are slaves of Christ. Black believers are slaves of Christ. Asians and Native American Indian believers are slaves of Christ. So what exactly is Paul trying to get across when he calls himself from the very beginning a slave of Christ? Paul means that he was bought with a price by Jesus. Extraordinary price. The shed blood of Christ. And as such, Jesus is Paul's master. He is no longer free. He is owned by another. And Paul abides with Jesus. And Jesus provides for Paul. And Jesus calls the shots, and he expects Paul to obey. 
And as we learned in Romans chapter 6, every person on the face of the planet is a slave. We are either slaves to sin or we're slaves to righteousness. All those folks who go through the world thinking that they're free, they are not free. They are slave to the sin that lives inside of them. And for those who've claimed the name of Jesus Christ, we now may be free of the concert, or free of the penalty of sin. We still got to deal with the consequences of sin. But we are now a slave to righteousness. We are now a slave to Jesus. No one gets to ultimately call their own shots. And so since we are slaves to Christ, it shouldn't surprise us that living a gospel-focused life requires that we submit our agenda to the agenda that God has for us. Paul passionately wanted to, to visit the believers in Rome, and he wanted to do that for many years. Look at Romans chapter 1. This is what he says in the beginning here. For I long to see you that I may impart to you, you Christians in Rome, some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often attended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the other rest of the Gentiles. He wanted to go there, but he was prevented. He was not allowed. And it's not the only place in Romans 1. We see this in Acts 16. We read these words. And Paul and Timothy went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of the Lord Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Tros. You see, Paul had his plans. God had other plans for Paul. And brothers and sisters, the same is true for us. What we think makes sense is not necessarily what God knows makes sense. Kathy and I thought that it made sense for us to go and pastor our home church rather than pursuing church planning. God knew that it made sense that we planned a church. We pushed hard for our way. We agonized for months in the midst of all of the silence, but God pushed harder and praise God that he did because none of this would have existed. None of it. And it's not because of, of, of my hard work or the core team's hard work or the people who came in 2003's hard work. It's because of what God has done. He has done an amazing thing. But my disobedience would have scuttled this. God would have done something else. God would have planted a multi-ethnic church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania that was focused on the gospel, but Mike Leonzo wouldn't have got to enjoy the benefit of it because he had been disobedient. I pushed hard. God in his grace pushed harder. But here's the sad thing about all this. 
That's not the only time that my agenda had to be put aside so God's agenda could move forward. My life is riddled with me trying to get my own way. I never planned on being a pastor. Last thing in my mind, my goal was to be sitting in, in one of the corner offices on uh, Friendship Road, 470 Friendship Road, the headquarters of Amp Incorporated. That was my plan. God knew that Amp Incorporated wasn't going to exist at some point. But God knew what I was supposed to do. And it has been the greatest burden and hardship that I have ever known in my life. But it has been filled with more joy and blessing than I could have ever imagined. In the beginning, Kathy and I never ever planned on being adoptive parents. Who wants to go through the, the that's hard. It's easier to have your own little crumb cruncher, you know, with medical history. You know, you, you, there, there's, there's no fear that someone's going to appear 20 years later and say, hey, I'm mom or dad. There's none of that. We never planned on that. But God said, I'm going to give you something hard and beautiful at the same time. And he gave us Nicole. And we were grateful for that. I never planned on losing two grandparents in the span of three months. But that was God's plan. And my mom and dad are Christians because God had to rip my grandparents out of their lives to show them their need for Christ. I would have never come up with that plan. I never planned that one of my sons was going to be living 400 miles away and the other son was going to be living 2,800 miles away. But God did. And them serving in the midst of God's will for their lives is so much better than them living in the midst of mine. And as I reflect upon my life, my greatest blessings have come from surrendering to God's will. However, it is so very hard to see that in the midst of the struggle. What about your life? Think about the times that you wanted to do one thing and God wanted you to do something else. And you prayed and you prayed and you prayed to God for what you wanted and instead God always does what he wants. I would imagine for many of you those times were crazy hard. Perhaps the, the sickness or passing of a loved one the disappointment of, of a spouse or a child or a parent, the loss of a job or the death of a dream. But now, you're on the other side of it. And you see what God was doing. And you're thankful that his agenda superseded your agenda. Last night, there was a guy, met him for the very first time. He came up here. He, he sat beside me. He said, Pastor Mike, I need you to pray for me. He says, what's my name? He goes, you should know my name. I'm like, what's your name? He goes, my name is Mike. 
And he's probably, I don't know, he's probably in his 70s. And he sat beside me and he cried. And why did he cry? Because he prayed and prayed and prayed that his wife wouldn't die. And she died. And he had to sit through this. But the reality is, there is hope on the other side. When we are, are aligned ourselves with, with God, God is working. And it may be hard at this moment, but, but there is hope on the other side. It's going to be different. It's going to be painful. It may be painful forever. But there is hope and joy. If we stay in the midst of the battle, if we surrender what we want and allow God to do what he wants, it will always work out. It may be hard. It may be painful. But there's blessing there. But there are others of us who are not yet on the other side. We haven't surrendered to God's will. Instead, we're, we're in the midst of the struggle. We, we want one thing, and, and what we've discovered is God wants something else. And it's a hard place to be. It's filled with confusion and hurt and perhaps anger. It's a bad place to be. I know I spend many times in that place. I fought with God, pushing for my agenda, pushing against his agenda. And it's a dark place, and it gets darker and darker and darker until we surrender and remember the words of Isaiah, which says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For his heavens are as high, higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We need to remember that. What we necessarily want may not be what God necessarily wants. God always, always knows what is right for us, even though it may be hard. Last point. We press forward regardless of the cost. Look again at verses 30 through 32. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Now, I want you to think for a moment about the situation Paul has found himself in. He is in Corinth, yet he wants to be in Rome. However, God wants him to be in Jerusalem, which is in completely the opposite direction. To obey God is going to add 2,000 miles to his journey. And Paul isn't traveling by United Airlines, which may take you a long time to get there anyhow, the way air travel is going right now. But he's traveling by foot. Best case, he's traveling by a, a sailing vessel that may go 10 knots. So his cost is going to be months of his time. On top of that, it's going to cost a whole lot more money to do that. 
He's got he's to be fed. He's got to, you know, he's a tent maker. He's a preacher. He's a tent maker. He's got to stop. He's got to make stuff. He's got to earn money. He's got to hope other people are going to give him money. But it isn't just going to cost Paul time and money. What does he specifically ask the, the, the people living in Rome to pray for? It's right there in verse 31, that he might be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Paul knows that going to Jerusalem is not going to be a walk in the park. He, he knows that there are people that are looking for his head. He knows that going to Jerusalem is the equivalent of a Dallas fan wearing a Dak Prescott jacket uh, jersey in the link in Philadelphia. He knows bad things are going to happen. Yet in spite of the danger, he goes to Jerusalem anyway. And he goes there because there are needy Christians in the city and he's bringing them much needed resources because their needs outweigh his desires. And many times, folks, the needs of others are far more important than our safety. So how does it turn out for Paul? Well, he arrives in Jerusalem. He's there for about five or six days and he's in the temple. And he gets surrounded by an angry mob of Jews who begin to beat him mercilessly. He has to be rescued by Roman soldiers. But they're actually not there to just rescue him. They're there to arrest him. They take him to the city of Caesarea, which is on the, the, the west coast of Israel, right on the eastern edge of the Mediterranean Sea. They keep him in prison there for two years, basically without charges. He then appeals to Caesar, and they put him on a boat with other prisoners sailing across the Mediterranean Sea, ultimately to get to Rome. On the way to Rome, the ship comes into a violent storm. They're throwing things overboard. They're going to throw people overboard. The ship is crashed against rocks. Paul manages to drag his wet rat body to the shore. A bunch of prisoners make it. Some of the guards make it to the shore. They decide that they'll build a fire to get warm. Paul helps to build the fire. In the process, he picks up a viper. He gets bit by the viper. The people are like, yeah, you're getting what you deserve. You're the one that causes the, this storm to come. You know, they're real superstitious, but he doesn't die. He's stranded there for three months. They end up putting him on a ship. He ends up in Rome. But rather than going and visiting the people that are in the Roman church, instead he's put under house arrest for the next two years. And they've got to come and visit him. Yet despite the beatings, the two years of imprisonment in Caesarea, the shipwreck, the poisonous snake bite, the two years of house arrest in Rome, Paul is faithful to the gospel of Christ. And listen to the closing verses of Acts 28, which wraps up what we know about Paul. Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. 
And the question becomes, can that be said about us? When things go south in the middle of our lives, when struggles rear their ugly head, when rejection and hurt come our way, do we remain steadfast to the gospel? Do we trust that God is faithful even in the midst of our disappointments and suffering? And are we committed to proclaim the kingdom of God and teach about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance? That, brothers and sisters, that's the model that's placed before us. It's one thing to call ourselves Christian. It is completely another thing to live as a Christian. Living gospel-focused lives is hard. It demands much. The blessings, the joy, are greater than anything we can imagine, even the struggles. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this time that we could study your word. And Lord, I pray for the folks that are here this day. I pray for the ones that are here, Heavenly Father, who deeply love you and your gospel. I pray, Heavenly Father, that they would be faithful in the demands that come with living a Christian life. I pray that they would be uh, ones who, who finish to the end that which you have called them to do, that they can look back with no regrets. I pray, Heavenly Father, that, that, that we would surrender our agenda to your agenda because your ways are always the best ways, even if they are the hard ways. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that in the midst of all of the struggles, that we would never, ever give up. And Lord, for those who find themselves in the midst of these challenges, I pray, dear God, that you would remind them of your deep love for them, that, Lord, that you would come near to them. I think of my friend from last evening. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would minister to him in the midst of the loss of his wife. Pray, Heavenly Father, that, that he would see that her death is not his death. That, Lord, that as he is able to draw breath, that you have a purpose for him. And, Lord, I pray that for all those in this room right now who are going through struggles and disappointments, I pray, Heavenly Father, that they would know that they are yours and that you love them and that you will provide for them. And Lord, for those who are in this place who have yet to come to faith in your Son, I pray that today, Lord, might be the day of salvation. I pray that they might uh, recognize through the power of your Spirit who you are, that they might recognize their own sin as we've been forced to recognize ours. They might confess it. And Lord, that they might place their faith and trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, is the only means that we might be able to be restored, that, that we are restored to you. That's through your son's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? Oh.